Welcome to the Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud podcast. Willing to Listen is a grassroots volunteer group based in South Bruce, Ontario, that is dedicated to thoroughly investigating multiple aspects of Canada's proposed deep geological repository for spent nuclear fuel. I'm Sheila Wittick, and I'm so excited to have you join me as we delve into this controversial project. Thanks so much for joining me for part two of my conversation with Roy Payne from GDF Watch UK. So why do you think that this concern about these perceived risks of a DGR exist compared to the risk of keeping it on the surface? Like, why do you think that that isn't necessarily properly debated publicly? Because I know personally, no one's talking about the risks of leaving it where it is. So like, why, like, why does that concern overwhelm a DGR, but not a surface facility? If you look around the world, much of it is just driven by genuine and understandable fear and concern. People, it's it, burying it deep in the underworld, it, it's very emotive to people. So there's a natural negative reaction to that and a sort of desire for it not to happen. What nobody ever does is think about, well, what is the alternative? Um, and the only alternative is keeping it on the surface, which when you think about it, is even worse than burying it deep underground. And I go to meetings and, of course, people say, well, why can't we fire it into the, into the sun? Well, how many rockets have you seen explode on takeoff? If you, that was full of highly radioactive waste, we would immediately be showering ourselves in radioactive <laughs> waste. And it's very hard. I have asked a question once. After sort of 40, 50 years, multi-billion dollar research programs, is it likely that anybody in this small village is going to have an original idea that no one has ever thought of before? And the answer always is no. Um, we've explored all the options, and there are only two options, keeping it on the surface or burying it deep underground. Those, there is no third way. And um, so while the, the concern is completely understandable, and people need to know that those concerns need to people need reassurance, but people also need to start thinking in terms of well, what's the alternative? And when they start considering the alternative, leaving it at Bruce Power Station for the next hundred thousand years, do they think that's a safer alternative? Is it more likely that if something goes wrong, that's a better alternative than having it go wrong a kilometer beneath their feet? Well, you know, a kilometre of rock between you and the waste, or do you prefer it in the air that you breathe? These are, it's for me completely a no-brainer. There's also an element, certainly you do see it in Europe. Um, so in Germany, for example, as I said, the Green Party are, I'm not saying they gleefully support geological disposal, they see it's the least worst option, but it's the best option available rather than keeping it on the surface. And yet you cross the border by a few kilometres into France and they're deep, the same Green Party is deeply opposed to geological disposal. And in part, there is a, um, a sort of uh, some politics being played by certain people because the anti-nuclear movement fear that um, by having a safe disposal route, this will allow more nuclear facilities to be built. Yes, so, that is. So, oh, I say that all the time. Anti-nuclear groups aren't a fan of geological disposal, not because it's not safe, 
but because they lose their what about the waste argument. But that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> and also, from I, I, I look at this all the time, and it's a completely legitimate debate. I actually do think part of the issue with the anti with the anti nuclear movement is certainly in Europe. It's still largely being argued around the sorts of um, issues in the 1970s and 80s, but the world has moved on, and the and younger generations are looking at nuclear in a different way. They're looking at it in the context of climate change. However, if you were, and I put this to um, colleagues in the anti-nuclear movement, if you want to revive the debate about nuclear, making people confront the issues of radioactive waste is probably the most powerful case you could make against more nuclear. Um, we need to be responsible and deal with the waste we've already inherited. That doesn't necessarily mean we need to create more because it's not cheap disposing of radioactive waste. It's very expensive. You know, there's a good case that can be put to say we should not have more nuclear because we don't want more waste. But certainly, Germany is a classic example, but you know, in the UK, if we were to renounce any use of nuclear going forward, we were to nuclear design, you know, renounce nuclear weapons and cease uh, nuclear tomorrow, we would still have a football stadium-sized pile of nuclear waste, whether we wanted it or not. It's not going to disappear just because we stopped nuclear. And it, it is the legacy waste, the waste we already have, which we have large volumes of, which need proper management and disposal. Mm. Um, I don't advocate for nuclear. I think it's a separate discussion, and we shouldn't conflate dealing with the mess we've already created and sorting that out with leaving the mess lying around in the hope that we won't create more. If you spilt some milk on the kitchen floor, do you have internal family discussions about should the milk be there? Is the milk now congealing? Is it safer? To should, Who's responsible? We don't. We clear up the milk and then we make sure it doesn't, or we do the best to make sure it doesn't happen again. Maybe get some cookies um, on the way. But the um, you know, we have this waste. It exists, whether we have new nuclear or not. And it needs resolving because it's, it's as, a, as an issue, as a problem, environmental problem, public health problem. It is one that we, okay, we didn't ask for, but it's one that this generation should start stepping forward, unlike previous generations, to do something about. I know you've brought up Germany a couple of times, and I just... Just a comment about Germany is I find it interesting that the SA2 salt mine is always used as an example of how geological storage is a failure and we shouldn't do it and all of those talking points. But Germany is still looking to construct a DGR. So in my mind, I'm like, if if the salt mine was that much of a failure, would they really want to go down the road of a DGR? I feel like they wouldn't. They would just say, no, we're not doing that. So clearly Germany doesn't view that as a massive failure of, G of DGRs. No, it does not see it as a failure of DGRs. It, it sees it as a stepping stone towards a DGR. And in fact, you know, the, the ASA mine has already been ruled out as a, mm. a long-term solution because it was never intended to be a long-term solution and is right. not a long-term solution. It was a short-term stopgap measure that 
help the Germans reduce risk by if there was a radioactive release from a ruptured package, it would be happening underground rather than on the surface. The mine was never was never intended to be a long-term solution. It was not a DGR by, the, by how we would understand it. Right. It was a short-term stopgap measure, which the Germans are seeking as quickly as possible to go further. I develop a proper DGR in more suitable geology as the long-term and permanent way of disposing of their radioactive waste. And so I guess my last question is a little bit little bit off the rails but like what do you suggest people like myself do who see the benefits of a DGR but we're up against quite a bit of misinformation or disinformation circulating about geological storage like how do you suggest that we approach that conversation? I know I found it helps just to um, criticize people's concerns or to dismiss or demean. Um, A lot of people I mean Uh, haven't taken the time, certainly as I have, uh, to yet find out more. And I think it's more a case of coming back to this. Well, what's your alternative to this radioactive waste? And not just, oh, well, I know somebody should do something. Well, somebody is doing something. They're burying it deep underground. And I've always taken this very simple view. You only have two choices, underground or overground. And you don't need to think too deeply about which is less or more preferable if something goes wrong. Because if something goes wrong, I want it as far away from me as I possibly can get it. And I certainly do not want it into the air that I breathe. And the other thing to bear in mind is one of of the reasons I'm here today is this is a global movement. In every country I go to, it's often perceived because they're often tend to be small, isolated rural communities. The community feels like The government, their government is coming to go and do something to them. Their government is doing something. And we we, we all have cynicism about our governments Mm. and about our government's motives and about politicians' motives. Mm. Um, So it's not only fear of nuclear, it's also suspicion of the motives of politicians. And it always feels like and perceived as my government doing something to me, whereas actually... If you start connecting with other communities who are facing exactly the same issues, and as this rolls out across the world, actually talking and sharing your feelings, your experience, your worries, your concerns, and rather than listening to the the experts and the scientists rolled out by NWMO or the Canadian government, or actually start talking to other communities and sharing experience, it becomes a lot less fearful because you are talking to people who have been or are going through exactly the same as you. The laws of the universe apply equally, whether you're in the UK or Canada, radioactive waste decays at the same rate. Yeah. The, the ability the rock is exactly the same. The way in which rock behaves. Funny how exactly physics doesn't same. change based on the country. <laughs> no, it does not change at all. And also people's fears and concerns don't change. We may speak different languages. We may have different political and historical cultures and traditions. But the issues are always the same in every country. Um, And I think a lot more can be done by at a community to community level. Actually, just ordinary people 
not scientists or experts, sharing their feelings and their experience and learning from each other. And in that way, it becomes a lot less threatening and fearful yeah. when you realise there are other people just like you who've been through the same experience and have come to the conclusion as I have. If we have two choices, underground or overground, yeah. people prefer underground rather than overground because the risks are, you know, don't, again, none of us know, I don't know how a microwave operates, I just know I push a few buttons and my food gets hot. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I, I know I do know that microwaves can be dangerous to you. They have to be the unit has to be safely built. Um, but I don't need to understand the, all the dynamics of a microwave oven. Um, <laughs> and similarly, I don't need to become a geological expert. I don't need to become a radiation expert. It's a straightforward, from my perspective, common sense. Mm-hmm. Which is the greater risk? Keeping it on the surface for a hundred thousand years and hope like mad, cross your fingers across everything. No other human ever makes a mistake ever again or burying it a kilometre underground in an environment that in 100,000 years' time will be exactly the same then as it is now. Um, I did ask the question once, what would happen if, you know, at that depth, if there was some geoplanetary force that shifted rock at that depth and was informed the forces that would, you know, that that would disrupt rock at a kilometre deep, we wouldn't have to worry about radioactive waste. It would be uh, an extinction-level event for the whole of the planet. Wow. The forces welling up within the... The forces that welled up from within the planet that could shift granite that had not shifted for a billion-plus years would be so cataclysmic, it would be an extinction-level event for the whole planet. Um, wow. So, you know, worrying about what happens... Right, we won't be around. There'll be no humans around to worry about it. Radio- and radioactive yeah. waste is the least of our problems. If the forces that disrupted the planet at that depth, the ripple effect to the surface would be quite cataclysmic. That's crazy to think about. That's uh, mind but, no, but no one's expecting that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, for, mm-hmm. Fortunately, the planet is a bit more predictable um, yeah. uh, than humans are. So the planet is a reliable partner. Um, again, people often don't really think about it, but the planet is radioactive. Our, our planet is constantly and always has been. Yeah, well, radio- I always radioactive. like, um, I use the example of some days, um, like, because I'm an operator at the nuclear plant, we have to go through like the portal monitors on our way in and out, just to make sure we're not taking radiation out of the station, obviously. And there are days that I can't get in to the nuclear plant because I already have so much radiation on my person from my house that I can't get through the radiation monitor. And that blows my mind (laughs) when it happens. Cause I'm like, how is this possible? But it's something that I think people don't know. I know so many people who have radon removal um, units in their basements because there's so much radon under their house and in their basement that they have to get it removed. Like people don't know that, you know? Well, I think again, I'm not going to use the phrase ignorance. I just, you know, I didn't know. Most of us just simply don't know. And when we don't know something, but then someone puts a scary proposition in front of us, it is the most basic primal human instinct to run away or uh, to, to say no. 
um, to something. But if you could actually just sort of stop for a moment um, and think, well, actually, what's the alternative? Um, and the alternative is just leaving it down the road from where you live now um, and just hope that over the next 100,000 years, no one's ever going to make a mistake and Ontario's surface will remain the pleasant way it is right now, neither of which can be guaranteed. So there are no guarantees in anything. All you can do is take away and minimise risk. And again, you have to ask people, underground or overground, if something is to go wrong, is it safer that it goes a, long, a long way away from you with a kilometre of rock to protect you for thousands of years? Or is it better for it to go wrong into the air that you breathe and then immediately into the environment in which you live? Um, so the threats to the water, the threats to the, the land, the threats to humans are present now. They are not, it's not as if we're creating a risk by burying this waste underground. They are present now. They are safely managed. There's no great risk, but that risk will slowly increase over time. Because the more, the more you have to unpackage and repackage, every time you take it out of one package and put it into a new one, there's, there's the element of human error. The management of that and the monitoring of that, the changing planetary surface, the, the approaching glaciers, this is all going to create threats over time. Well, and, and plus we have the assumption of that, that we have a regulator who's enforcing the, the repackaging and the maintenance and the monitoring of the solutions. And we're also assuming that people are still taking responsibility for it on the surface. There's no guarantee that there won't come a time when people say we don't want this anymore. You know? I mean, the Canadian, the Canadian state, the state of Canada is only what, 200, 300 years old? Oh, even less than that. I think it was 1867. Will Canada still exist as an entity in a thousand years' time, in 5,000 years' time? In 10,000 years' time, in 100,000 years' time, who is going to be looking after the waste? There's also this other concern when you do bury it is what would happen in future generations, you know, accidentally discover or drill into this waste? Hmm. Well, two questions. If you have the technology to bury, to drill that far down, like you can now, you'd be able to detect Mining companies and geologists are constantly finding things as they go down. They're monitoring the environment to which they're drilling. So you can only assume if they can drill that far down, they will also have the technology and they'll start to wonder, why are we getting these spikes of radiation? What's going yeah. on here? Yeah. So people are concerned about that. What happens if you leave a building on the surface? It's far easier for people to stumble into and break into yeah. some old archaeological ruin like the pyramids. Yeah. And to see what treasures are inside. And I think and way more tempting. release. And way more tempting is right there. Ooh, yeah. what, did the, what did the ancients leave for us? Oh, yeah. they left a load of radioactive poo. Thanks very much. It's mm -hmm. now, you know, we, we, whereas they are unlikely just to stumble into the waste if it's a kilometer under the surface yeah which gets me thinking about the whole argument of abandonment right people don't want the waste abandoned which in my opinion is not a unique situation for a dgr you know waste on the surface can be abandoned it can be forgotten about mm -hmm. and not looked after um 
And I think if, if we're so concerned about abandonment, it's not hard to ensure that we tell the next generations that it's there. You know, if that's the big concern that we don't want people to forget, it's not hard for us to make sure that we tell our kids and to make sure our kids know to tell their kids. Well, there's also, there's a real world example of that already. There's an, there's an atoll in the Pacific Islands and within the, the Marshall Island chain called Riddick Atoll. And at the end of the, when the Americans concluded all their uh, weapons testing in the Pacific, mm-hmm. yep. they, took their, they took their higher um, level waste and they placed it in a surface storage facility on Runic Atoll, which is an uninhabited atoll. They did that at a time before we realized or thought about or were aware of climate change and rising sea levels. And so right now, and then also the US State Department, also Defense Department, completely forgot they even had this facility on an uninhabited atoll in the middle of nowhere in the Pacific Island. But this is now becoming a problem and it's becoming a diplomatic issue raised at the United Nations because having built and left highly active radioactive waste on the surface without thinking through the consequences of climate change and surface change and bureaucratically having forgotten about it, the Americans now are, are now having to accept responsibility. They may have to do something about this. Now, under the Trump administration, they denied all responsibility. And of course. The Biden administration is, is a little bit more um, uh, acquiescent. And this has now been taken up by, I don't know if, if you know, um, oh, Katie Porter. She's a Californian congresswoman. She is one of my favorite people in Congress. She is such a brilliant cross-examiner uh, of corporates and government. Um, and she's now taken this uh, uh, under her attention. But it's a clear example, a real-world example, of how within 60 years we can forget we have a surface facility with highly active radioactive waste, having built it without thinking through or being aware of changing surface conditions. I, I, that terrifies me. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's just because I am well-versed in nuclear, being a nuclear worker, so I understand radiation. I've got a good handle on that. I know how we shield from radiation. You know, I'm in and out of a nuclear plant all day. So nuclear prospects don't terrify me. But that does, you know, the thought of the thought of our spent fuel sitting on the side of the lake forever terrifies me because I'm putting a lot of faith in people that I've never met to do things that I know a lot of people don't know how to do, (laughs) you know. And, And we do have the capacity as a society to easily forget things. Yeah, yeah. We don't retain knowledge very well. And I, I've said that a lot myself too. You know, I'm very pro DGR. I don't know if I'm pro DGR here yet. I haven't heard enough about the implications to South Bruce to know for sure if I want one here. Um, but I, I'm very pro DGR. I think they are the best solution for nuclear waste. And we need to be open and um, willing to listen to research and willing to listen to experts. And it's, I was reading a book, I haven't finished it yet, called The Death of Expertise. And it's phenomenal to think of how, you know, people just don't have the same 
opinion and respect for experts who have spent their lives studying and learning and working in fields. They think they can get the same information from YouTube and it just, it's not how it works, you know, but I find there's just so many platforms now with all this information available to people that they feel like they know enough. You know, I feel like I know enough to say no to this when they don't know that the things they've been listening to and watching aren't credible. And that's why I think it's important we discussing before, rather than rely upon experts, let's build a network of communities around the world of ordinary people so that we can build a people's understanding and knowledge which is, le- which is much more resilient to the misinformation and disinformation. We know this world is full of misinformation, disinformation. Every YouTube influencer is suddenly an expert in brain surgery. Yeah. Um, ha- having read something, an article on the, you know, from, from Reddit, we need to be more cognizant of the need to understand. Uh, and if we can't, you know, we're not expected to be PhDs, but we do need to trust the information that we're being given and the source of that information. And since so many sources out there are unreliable, the one way that we can build reliability is just by talking with each other and developing a shared knowledge so that we can call out fake news when it's fake and that we can, no matter how difficult it may be to accept initially, that everybody else has accepted this and examined this, so maybe they're right. Um, and maybe what they're proposing is the right thing to do. I don't need to become an expert. I just need to trust the person or the people telling me this. And not only that trust, one of the things that really does strike me about, um, you know, the fact of the matter is by the end of this century, there is going to be 30, 40 DGRs. These are mega construction projects um, requiring a lot of different skills. Um, and there will only be a few companies building them. There will be networks. There will be transport and commercial and scientific and academic new routes between these communities because people will be traveling as they're building them, as they're researching, as they're analyzing them. People will build their whole career moving from one site to another site. Um, There's a great opportunity here. And all of these are going to be built, generally speaking, in isolated rural communities. Um, and that there's an opportunity here for 40, 50 different communities around the world to build civic um, ties, to build commercial ties, to, and also together to try and, well, be blunt about it, extract maximum benefit from those who want to build it. Mm. So if that's about providing um, scholarships, for our kids and our grandkids that they can develop careers which allow them to still yep. have a vetted interest in their own community um why not why should we leave this to everybody else there's a great opportunity here for communities around the world to build civic and commercial relationships to the benefit of those uh, all those communities over a long period of time um with like-minded people people who are just like us who live in rural areas who are farmers who are small business people um who are hotel owners um how do we um collectively work together to make sure each one of us is prodding our own government saying hang on a moment they got this in canada why can't we have it 
Hmm. Um, and vice versa. You, you know, Canadians running out of anger at the moment. The Brits got this. Why can't we have that? Yeah. Um, you know, we should be using it as an opportunity to think about the sort of future we want to build for our children, not just environmentally by clearing up the waste, but if we are going to take the responsibility, our community going to take that responsibility on for our nation, for our planet, then there should be some benefits attached to that. And part of that is being part of a privileged and elite community, community set of communities who do host repositories, um, but actually build vibrant communities and vibrant civic and commercial activities around that that are sustainable for centuries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefits there that haven't really been explored thoroughly yet, but hopefully hopefully in the near future we do that. But we've been oh, over an hour now. That's too long, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's okay. We'll figure it out. But I just wanted to thank you so much again for taking the time to do this today. It's been awesome. Oh, my pleasure. I look forward to doing it again. And that's it for this episode of Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud. I look forward to further investigating Canada's plan for spent nuclear fuel along with all of you. Thanks so much for joining me. And remember, we don't have to agree on anything to be kind to one another. Mm -hmm.